On this episode of the Peter Panda Podcast, we're headed to Colfest in the famed Maverick County of South Texas. We dissect the meticulous world of low-fence trophy deer management with wildlife biologist Ben Binion and retired Texas game warden Scott Krieger. We dive into habitat management, supplemental feeding programs, culling, and ultimately, how these guys work tirelessly to minimize the stress levels of this highly manicured herd of deer. Ben explains that within his particular management strategy, calling deer is absolutely necessary, but that these tools and practices can differentiate from a habitat-specific carrying capacity to different management end goals. It's time to climb into the Texas deer blind and play a small but extremely fun and important role in growing some of the biggest wild white-tailed deer on earth. Let's just kick off our conversation with the... uh the firestorm you started on the internet this morning <laughs> because it's really what I want to uh, talk about with you guys and defend uh, and exp- not defend explain uh, what we're doing here in Texas right now uh, but before we dive into any of that uh, let's let's introduce you guys Mr. Ben Binion uh, what is your you say you don't have a job title here uh yeah not not I don't ranch manager, deer manager, uh, wildlife wild, wild biologist. You are the on-site wildlife biologist. There you go. That yeah. sounds better than what I was going to say. And we're also sitting here with Mr. Scott Krieger. And Scott, what would you say? They hired me to be that. They call it the camp manager, people camp manager. manager. Yeah. Yeah, and you guys do so much more than both of what those titles right. kind of. Right. Uh, pigeon tell you into uh but we're here on a very large piece of private property in southwest texas maverick county which unbeknownst to me uh maverick county and if anybody in listening is savvy with the deer world uh, maverick county is kind of the the holy grail of texas deer hunting is that correct yeah boone and crockett kind of runs it down here huh? yeah i mean it's 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 well known to whitetail people that are familiar with ben and crockett record books yes i've mentioned i've name dropped maverick county uh, a couple times and a couple people have immediately been like oh you're in the good stuff yeah so uh this ranch is primarily not primarily like exclusively managed for deer for trophy deer hunting correct that's correct and with that comes a lot of other ecological and uh, biological benefits from what you guys are doing here and i want to dive into the your management strategy and your goals and what you're doing here and some of the history of what you've done here um how long have the uh the current owners had this ranch so this is the 10th season. 10th season. This is my ninth season. So you came on pretty quick there. Yeah. Okay. And what state, 10 years ago, what this, I know what it looks like right now, and I'll, I'll explain that as we go on, but 10 years ago, what, what did you have here? Um, it was, it was pretty, much, pretty much raw land. There was very little improvement, very little habitat management. Um, the water, the, 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 water situation is is all rain catch it's there's no wells there's no water Mm. troughs it's all it's all whatever's caught 
through rainfall, which we've built a couple of uh, rain catch systems in the form of stock tanks, like most people would call them uh, ponds. Right. Um, so there was we've we've added a few of those on, but when we first started, there was much drier. Yeah, yeah, much less drier. less water. Um, the deer herd was uh, there's I guess I would say a lower a lower number of of mature trophy which you would quote unquote trophy deer so one fifty plus when you're on a score scale okay um, so so let me give you an idea when the year before I started there was five known deer um, and I'm gonna skip over a lot of stuff whenever I start talking this towards this uh, number stuff. So the year before I started, there was five deer in the 150 range known on through trail cameras, um, scouting, etc. There was five deer that would grow score over 150 the first year. My first year, there was 15. And that was strictly from a one year of doing nothing pretty much. Well, what do you mean doing nothing? Something um, changed. So, 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 so basically harvesting maybe less less top grading or less harvesting of trophies i see see the previous the previous owners before they leased it out and it was what i would consider top grading which people would come in and um skim off the top they'd kill the biggest buck they could find and that's it and that's the only deer was getting killed so when i when we got here the first two years there was a tremendous amount of mature bucks but none of them were very good antler quality because Um, they never had that opportunity to take the next step right because all the ones that were that had the genetics and and what it what it took to be 150 plus died from the previous landowners at an earlier age um i see so your first year uh and in the first initial steps of you guys kind of transforming this ranch into what it is today uh revolved around water and backing off on the top skimming yes so so instead of killing harvesting killing the one percent highest scoring bucks we started concentrating on the other end of the bell curve and harvesting the uh basically what we started doing was quote-unquote culling which that's a that's a you know, we'll that, that, that that term is, is whatever you want to call it. Selective harvest is you're, what we're doing. You're curating a genetic line for the property. You're, you're eliminating. So, we, we're the, taking mouths off the land and somebody, so, taking so mouths off the land. I've heard yeah. you say that before. Yeah. So it's all, it, it all revolves around carrying capacity and whitetail, whitetail's entire existence is, is revolves around stress. And it's in stress can be in the form of water. It can be in the form of food. It can be on, in the form of, uh, of breeding sec- sexual, uh, preference. I mean, not preference, but selection. Um, and all that kind of, it boils down to carrying capacity and population. So the more mouths you have on the land, the more stress you're causing to the rest of the herd. I see. So you reduce that number, you reduce the overall stress of the herd. And also stress can come in hunting pressure and hunters on the land. Um, and that's, that's why you, you hear, you hear stress coming from hunting pressure a lot more in other states, not necessarily down here. Um, so we, and we instituted a supplemental feed program. Again, that is supplemental. We're not feeding them like a feedlot. 
Right. So that um, uh, kind of brings me to a bigger picture to zoom out a little bit more here. Um, this is what we call a low fence property. Yeah. These yeah. deer can leave if they want to. Yeah. And a lot of Texas is, uh, has high fence properties, uh, which is where these deer cannot leave. And a lot of landowners maybe uh, introduce crazy genetics and a whole lot of uh, intensive feeding and breeding programs. And that's where you see these freaks of, freak of nature, 300-inch uh, whitetails and whatnot. That is not what's going on here. This is a wild place uh, yeah. that animals could hypothetically come and go from this is a lot harder management wise it's a lot harder on low fence than it is on on high fence and it may not be the reasons that people think and what yeah what are the reasons Um, the biggest reason is when you're trying to reduce carrying capacity and reduce numbers you're creating uh better habitat and when you create better habitat you have an influx from neighboring properties of these animals that come in so they want to be here so they keep coming well, to keep the numbers down, you have to keep removing them. You have to keep fighting So, so, so it, it cuts, you know, I would say it probably cuts miles into our neighbors on our harvest. And our neighbors are killing bigger deer than they've ever killed in their life. Yeah, you're doing everybody around here a favor. Right. For right. sure. And uh, they're like, well, we're not seeing as many deer, but we're seeing way bigger deer. Yeah, I, that uh, makes sense to me. And, then, and that was another thing. When we came into this, the goals when we, when we highlight our goals, it's like, what are, what are, what do we, what what do we want this ranch to be? And basically it's not a commercial hunting operation. We don't sell hunts. That's correct. We, we, we are strictly friends and family and to raise as big a deer as we could possibly raise. And I, and I, I say raise, it's more, let them exist is is, facilitate. Yes. uh, The habitat habitat to, to create. Yep. And that the would best they could possibly yep. be. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that's kind of what our goal was. So we we didn't have a number of trophies in mind. We just wanted the best quality we could get. It wasn't and a quantity thing. It was a quality thing. Correct. Goal-wise. Goal the, goal, the goal was. So with that goal, there's no reason to carry – you know, X number of deer because we have to harvest this many trophies every mm-hmm. year from a commercial standpoint. It's what do we need to do to grow the biggest deer possible? And that's where the that's where the carrying capacity and reducing the numbers and the overall stress comes in. And so in, in trying to uh, create that environment or situation to grow the biggest free ranging whitetails possible, uh, low stress, you say, is super important. Which is which? The low stress is everything is everything is umbrella under stress. Hmm. So so you to to create low stress, you reduce the numbers. We've added supplemental water. Um, we've we've uh, added supplemental feed, um, and then the the you know of course when we talk about carrying capacity and culling. Um, we reduce the numbers, which we're going to keep going back to that. Uh, yeah, we're gonna. That's because that's what we're. That's, that's what, what we're, we're going to talk about. That's what we're here doing this week. Um, so that's that's kind of a zoomed out picture of where we were ten years ago and the initial steps that you started to implement here. Um, Scott, when did you show up here? In July of 2015. So this is my eighth deer season. So you're yeah. right behind Ben. Uh, you're behind Ben. And previously, what did you do before you worked here? I was a game warden for Texas Parks and Wildlife for 26 years. 26 years. What part of the state? All over? 
Pretty much. Started out on the coast, did that for a few years, transferred up to central Texas, Bosque County, Lake Whitney area, did that for a couple of years, and then I made a, a silly mistake and put in for promotion, and <laughs> and fortunately or unfortunately, I got it, however I look at it. Put did four, behind a desk? Sitting behind a desk yeah. four years, training cadets, doing lesson plans, and then promoted to captain four years. And oh, wow. He did that for uh, enough time till I realized I missed being a blue badge out in the field. I wanted to get back and and do what I love doing, and that was being a game warden out in the field. So I finished out my career as a game warden. Oh, you did? You actually went back? I, I went back and was able to finish my career as a game warden, oh, wow. a true game warden with the blue badge, working with landowners and ranchers and, and yeah. kids and and all that goes with it there in Gillespie County, Fredericksburg, and uh, retired in, in March of 2015 and started here in July of 15. Oh, you didn't take too much time off, huh? Three months was plenty. <laughs> You're was, a working man. Huh? I was too young to, to re retire, retire. Young enough to retire from law enforcement, but too young to retire. Yeah, I, I so. hear you. Uh, well, I think, uh, and we didn't we didn't realize how much we needed him until he got here. And what and what do you mean by that? What did Scott bring to the table that you didn't expect him to bring? He's a lot better of a he's a lot more of a people person. Than yeah, I absolutely. Because I am a straight up just an asshole and don't like people. Yeah, I wouldn't. And he's, and <laughs> I he's, won't say he's, that to you because I'm scared of you, but. Uh, <laughs> You you are really really good at managing deer and <laughs> growing these deer here, and you're really good at scaring people away too. Uh, which maybe <laughs> and that's where Scott, that's Scott, Scott comes Scott in, and yeah. it's, it's yeah. like you guys a, are two peas in a pot. You guys, yeah. the yin and the yang. And really. I'll, I'll ask Ben about guests that we've had in the past. What was his name? Ben says, "I don't know." There's enough, I don't have enough room in my brain for people. I remember yeah. deer names. That's right. And I'm the opposite. I'll remember people, but I can't remember deer names. That's right. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's a, this is a full-time, year-round job for both of you. Both right. of you live and breathe this property every day of the year. Yeah. We've taken ownership of it, basically. Yeah. Even though we have get, no ownership of it, we feel like we do. We want to see the best of it. When do you get squatters rights where you yeah. can just kind of right. take this place over? Yeah. Um, so your experience as a game warden came in as, you know, you're not so much patrolling for poachers out here, uh, but you certainly know how to, to, to cover the land and do whatever's needed to help Ben facilitate some of these goals with Absolutely. deer management. Right. Um, but yeah, you do, you're kind of a jack of all trades around here. And I grew up in the outdoors. I grew up hunting and fishing and farming and, and being around people my whole life so this just came naturally with the equipment uh habitat my brother's wildlife biologist that's right so he's older than i am so i got to follow those follow him around as a biologist and i learned a lot about habitat and wildlife just listening and, and following him around with his i cohorts. suppose you've, you've probably learned i mean we all we're always all of us are always learning but probably in the last seven yeah. years here you've probably Absolutely. learned quite a bit too yeah, exactly from ben and and those others that come down well just hands-on just being in the deer stand watching that's right you learn so much about wildlife not just whitetail but yep. quail and doves and everything that that swims and flies and walks that ground out there you learn yeah and you guys are here you know, we show up and have a good time for, uh, you know, just short of a week every year. And what people might know through some of my postings as call fest. So that's what we're here doing right now. And that's why uh, I have been invited to come to this property once a year. The owners of this place are nice enough to have their friends down to help participate in calling 
And calling's kind of a sensitive term or maybe a misunderstood term, but in selective harvest. Selective harvesting. Is a better way because culling has taken on a negative connotation. Sure. Okay. So we'll stop calling it. We'll have, we'll I mean, I still call it culling. Selective harvest fest. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> SFC. <laughs> um, so that's what we're doing. So the majority of the trophy hunting uh, is done for the year. You're, you know, the goals have primarily been met. I know that there's a couple deer still being targeted, but the majority of your, your top hit list trophy bucks have been hunted. And now in this uh, month of December is the time where we come in and try to remove some mouths off the landscape by killing so, a lot of does. So, so the, the whole idea we, this, this, this week has morphed into when I first started, when I implemented, when we implemented this, this idea and this program was we, we have to, we have to remove a lot of mouths from the, from the landscape every year. That's that, is that because you, they're eating too much expensive corn and cotton seed or because you, you're eliminating the stress off of the, uh, primary targeted deer. Yes. Yes to both. Yes. Yes to everything. Yes to everything. There's, there's a ton of different reasons why we do it. Um, money is a big one because yeah. what's the point of paying for feed for a deer that's not going to meet our goals? So just to paint the picture for if anyone listening who's not super familiar with a, a Texas low fence wildlife operation, throughout the property, you have several feeders. Supplemental feeders. Supplemental yeah. feeders. So these deer are eating naturally on the landscape. And so, so the supplemental feed is to reduce the stress throughout the year. So, so think of, think of a deer's, um, natural browse is going to be, uh, like a graph, like a, like a line graph that, that fluctuates up and down, um, up and down, up and down. And you, the idea with supplemental feed is to reduce the, the size of those spikes to I make see. it, you want that line as straight as possible, but it'll never be straight. You, due to due environmental to just natural factors. In, in, okay. You know, the way they feed. You, you want to take, so like in Montana, for instance. Like a you have, bull elk. You have hard winters. Yeah, that You're going to have a serious dive way, in that line. Everything's going to die in the winter. And in the spring, when everything greens up, that line shoots straight up in the air as yep. high as it can go. And then you keep going. And so, so down here, it's the same way. Except there's some there's some differences with the, like summers are hotter and worse and yep. this, you know and sp- we have limited rainfall um, so the rainfall kind of dictates dry years the supplemental feed helps keep those spikes from spiking way down and having die offs and having um, stress on their bodies so you, you're trying to keep that line straight with supplemental feed I see and what are you primarily feeding on the property so. There's, we feed uh, whole cotton seed, which, which is, is protein, which is uh, super, super high in protein. They feed it to dairy cattle. Um, some people are feeding it in, in the Midwest now, um, wherever is close to, to cotton farms, they're, they're, they're utilizing it. They, it originally started because it was cheap ah. and easy to get. But turns out it was pretty damn good. It, right. It's super high in protein and it's, it's uh, 17 and a half percent fat which the highest fat content that you can get into a pelleted feed, manufactured pelleted feed without it falling apart is about 4%. Oh, so this is so just four far times and beyond. More. Right. 
And the protein content is around 21 to 22%. Um, but it, it, it's more about the fat content so more what, than anything on the cottonseed. What does the protein do for a deer and what does the fat do for a deer? The fat just, just it keeps them healthy, keeps, keeps them, their body keeps healthy. healthy. And their antlers are a direct result of the leftovers after their body is built. That makes sense. So, so that's why a young deer has smaller antlers because his body's still growing. He's so focused on just growing right. his skeleton and his and, muscles. And, and you can think of antler growth as one year behind the body is kind of the idea. Yeah. One, maybe even two years. And what we're start, we're starting to push the envelope on age with what we're doing here um, because we can reduce the stress. So when you reduce the stress, just like a human being, you reduce the stress, you can they can live longer. Sure. Um, so if you stop drinking and smoking, you'll live longer. It's the same kind of on your body. Are you sure? Uh, I've heard, I've read a book. Yeah. The self-help book you yes. told me you were reading. Yeah. yeah. Third one and they suck. Yeah. Well, you're doing, <laughs> you're, you're in the best mood possible. I think it was that fourth kid you had that really yeah. brought the joy back into your life. It really helped me deal with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it set the bar. Yeah. But, but so, yeah, so, so the, and then the protein in, in, you know, the different, different components in the, in the, in the pelleted proteins, the nutrients help offset some of the, the, Stuff they're not getting in the wild, but you're so, not using pelleted. We but, are using pelleted to to a degree. You are, yes. Okay. So so I want to make I want to make something. If it rained here consistently every spring, we would not feed a single ounce of anything. Is that right? The the it, this area, and that's why Maverick. County that's why is Maverick known. County. That's yeah, where it soil started. soil types and in vegetation and brush are phenomenal with adequate rainfall but you don't get that the problem is is you get adequate rainfall at the right time once in five years tell me about your rainfall this year so we were basically a what like less than two inches for the year up to august 25th ish right and then we had 14 inches in a week yeah and did that you know that was too late for antler development or antler growth because your stock your stock tanks and your uh man-made water supply you have on the property was very important this year yes we were hauling water in a trailer oh my gosh just to just to try to keep deer from either leaving the property or just dying in general um and again we're not seeing these deer when you drive up you're not driving we we see between scott and i in the summer i bet we see one deer a month probably Wow. Because they're nocturnal. They're that, not moving. It's too hot. They're that's n- not my experience here. Yeah. No. Well, you're you're not here that time of year. No, I'm not. And I'm not coming because I do not do <laughs> it well is mi- in the heat. It's, it's miserable. Oh, Lord. Send me back to the snow. Um, so, you're 10 years into this program. Um, okay. That, so, the Cole Fest. Let's get back. Okay. We're you want to you get back yeah, to Yeah, yeah. Let's get so, back so to the, the Fest. So, the way what we what – because we, it kind of got off on a tangent every once in a while. But so so – the idea with Colfest is you you have to remove these mouths. So so I I use the analogy of uh, of college and bars when I'm explaining deer. It makes the most sense to me, um, you know, because because you look at deer's personality, individual deer personality, it's it equates to the same thing that you that I experienced in college with people that want to fight, people that want to, you know, find a girlfriend, and people that want to party. So it's the same thing with deer. They're all different. Um, <laughs> but but so, so, so here's, 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 here's another philosophy or, or, or something that I've built Cullfest around is 
if you if you go if you're going to a bar and and there's a shooting at that bar every week versus you go to a bar that there was a shooting at 10 years ago which bar are you going to go to Probably I mean, the one for the 10 years ago. Yeah, it's like, well, that was way long time ago. It's not going to happen again. So you're trying to so, concentrate. So so I'm trying to concentrate and get as much out at one time. To in, get for the stress. For the stress. To, and it, revert, it all reverts back to the stress. To, so, so I don't want to – I don't want to – I didn't think about that. Shoot, shoot a gun around a deer, you know, twice a week, every week for the entire deer season. That makes sense. I want to shoot – 20 times one week and mm-hmm. then they'll forget about it yeah it's kind of that's the idea that's my that's our philosophy that's why we that's why we do it in a condensed version um, that's also the reason for the tripod the tripod hunting is to select for deer that are not at the normal hunting stands uh-huh. so there's less shots out of those normal hunting stands to keep those the pressure off le- the less pressure and less off stress the off spots. of the main spots that makes sense uh, well, back to the bar analogy. So you got the you got the fighters and the boyfriends and girlfriends and the partiers. What what does that have to do with uh, so, culling? So 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 it's not really culling. It's it's the bucks. So some bucks uh, mature faster than others. Some bucks like to fight. So you have to take that into consideration when you're when you're on our trophy on our big deer. You you when you decide when you want to take them, when you want to harvest them. These deer, I mean, I'm getting trail camera pictures of them. We're not seeing them every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these, the, the trophies that we kill have been seen one time, and that was the time that they got shot. So, uh, One time that year? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them. very familiar with the, the deer on this property. Well, because the trail cameras, because I go through 150,000. Oh, you're talking about uh, in person, seen in person once right. a year. Right, the yeah. big, the big, big ones. Yeah, okay. Yes, yes. I thought the you were big, saying big a total no. stranger just shows up or something. No, 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 no. The big, big, but so, so back to the bar analogy. Um, it's just it, it's a be, it's a good way to understand you can't manage deer the same mm-hmm. everywhere. You can't manage this. You can't manage this buck and that buck the same. But you can't. You also can't manage this property the same as you manage a property sixty miles from here, much less in a different part of the state or in a different state. Yes, it has to ebb and flow with it's a custom program yes and you and we we base everything off of trend data year to year to see what works and what doesn't instead of implementing something we read in a book that worked in mississippi well i mean there's certain things proactive and there's certain things that might work for people in different areas that work the same right work the same in different areas but for us, we change our management program slightly every year to ebb and flow with a million different factors. It's a it's a living, breathing document. Yeah, you guys are you guys are uh, proactively. Yeah, like this year. This this year we had a drought, so we changed our harvest uh, uh, trophy gui- guidelines. Yeah, um, you were culling. saying earlier yeah. that uh, some of the biggest deer on the property. Y'all left alone this fall, right? Or you didn't. You did not actively target them, correct? Because of this drought, uh, everything kind of got set back a little bit. And you said, you know, this is a great deer, and he's ready to go. But we should let him have a better a better rainfall year before we target him and harvest him. Uh, how how many acres are we sitting on? I got it. 
just got Do we just get a photo from somebody sitting out in a tripod? Yeah, we just got to do so it. So <laughs> um, we, we, we traditionally do a morning and an evening hunt. The really hardcore killers will eat a quick breakfast and then go out for a midday sit, which I like doing too. And it's very foggy today, which probably helps for a midday hunt. Ben just got a text from one of the boys, shot a nice big doe. That probably made you happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It was not a fawn. That was the best part. Yeah. So, <laughs> so with the with the uh, selective harvesting we're doing this week and throughout the year, what's your year goal? Let me back up from that. Uh, do you have an estimation of mouths on the property, whitetail on the property? Um. So I'd say it's anywhere from a thousand to five thousand, give or take twenty five hundred. That is not. A really discreet. <laughs> my, I, mean, I guess it, my question is, if you don't know that, how can you know how much? It goes back to, to hard, trend, to trend. So trend data. So okay. trend data. So when we when we do when we do, and I, I say that chicken tongue with that one thousand to five thousand, yeah, because yeah. a lot. Of, it, it's probably around twenty five hundred okay. total animals. Um, and what was the acreage in twenty two thousand seven hundred? Okay, twenty two thousand seven hundred acres. Um, is and a hundred deer. I, I, I mean, you ten, do ten deer per acre. I, you could ask me that same question, and the numbers would probably change. Well, uh, yeah, you know, fair and, enough. And my <laughs> math is probably embarrassingly wrong. Uh, but we do helicopter surveys, so we mm -hmm. fly transects with a helicopter, same speed, same height, everything, every year at the same time of year. And those numbers, as long as those numbers are staying consistent with the deer per acre wise, we know. We're doing. We're we're you're in, the, you're in the right ballpark here. You're yes, in, there's no spikes in those in right. those in those graphs. So, um, and what? How many deer every year will roughly will you harvest off of this ranch? So, <clears throat> so being that we're free range a free range environment, and we have the huge influx from the neighbors. Um, our harvest reflects that influx because we 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 take around. 450 on average, 430 to 450 total animals, total white-tailed deer off of this property every single year. Wow. And it feels like we have more now than we've ever had. And that's why I keep stepping it up a little bit and stepping it up a little bit. And that's another reason we are keeping with that same number, even though our recoup recruitment this year was substantially lower than normal. Because and our recruitment drop. being fawn crop. Yeah. In the yep. fawn fawn survival rate that we see from the helicopter and that's based off of uh you get that ratio by counting how many does and how many fawns you do and dividing that number um and this year it's 23 percent our average is around 70 percent in the past oh wow you are years. so do you expect to see uh effects from that for years to come as this okay, age class so develops yes but it won't feel as bad because of our um bucks stacked in the pipeline hmm. so so our age structure you know we have a, a a ton of bucks that are over seven years old which most places don't you, you kind of got a bumper yes you kind of got a, yeah yeah you kind of got a safety net on this right thing. so so there's places that are down the road from us that are they're going on their fourth year of a fawn crop of less than 25 percent because of either improper grazing management or lack of supplemental feeding or lack of harvest even. Um, and that's those have places, lasting problems. Yes. Those places will, you will see negative impacts in the future. But your, your one 
low recruitment year here. We'll, we'll be not, able to absorb that pretty you'll easy. You'll be able to – that will yeah. come out in the wash. Yeah. I see. I mean, there will be a point when we're sitting there, you know, in seven years saying, where's all our seven-year-old bucks? We're not going to say that because we're going to have a ton of older and up-and-comers mm-hmm. too. So, we're, you'll never even – it the normal noticeable pe- yeah. normal people won't even notice that's right um, i may notice you, you but probably will <laughs> yeah uh, so uh all be all the hunts on this property i i purchase a texas hunting license every year but when i come here i do not use my state issued deer tags so why is that explain to me what program so, that is so we are under the managed land deer permit um which is mld for short, um, we we perform various um, management practices that mm-hmm. allow us to. It, it was it was a kind of an ordeal to get into the program, and it's a program through the state, through the Parks and Wildlife. Yeah, let me let me um, say my elementary understanding of it, and then you can kind of fill in the cracks. Uh, the MLD program, the Managed Land Deer. Permit. Permit. What, what, do we just lose the P at the end? Yeah, I stopped saying the P. Yeah, somewhere got yeah. lost. Everybody else says MLDP, but I just, MLDs. I think it's Fancy Land Deer Program, isn't it? My yeah, understanding yeah. is this, this, this program. That's why I dropped the P because I didn't MLD, uh, is when you have a property like this that is uh, so large and so meticulously it, managed that, and, and you can correct me here when I'm done, because uh, maybe it's not just about size. Uh, it's but it's it's an opportunity where a landowner can partner with state biologists where the state says, hey, you have so much of Texas right here that we're not even looking at or touching. Why don't we work together for you guys to manage this the way you need to, uh, which would involve shooting more deer than your regular tags would issue i get i think i get what two deer tags or something oh you get five i get five okay if it depends on the county so so let me let me let me let me let me fix that or clean that up so no 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 so 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 the state the state we partner with the state biologists and they are 100 percent worried about habitat because better habitat means better quality deer and healthier deer um, they don't care about individual deer. We do, but they don't. So what they, they want us to keep the habitat in check, mm. which in turn means harvesting, killing more deer, taking more mouths off the landscape. Um, the size of the property is not necessarily, doesn't necessarily matter. But when you start, the, the state will take uh, various um, survey data, Rather, it's conducted by my – not all places have somebody like me that can t- conduct that data ourselves and turn it into the state. We're going to get uh, into that. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll collect the data, turn it into the state, and say this is what we have, this is what our goals are to get to, and they're going to – they always are like, yes, that's probably better than the goals that we had set for you to begin with because it's lower numbers – than they would already have said. They want lower numbers of deer because the state's overpopulated for the most part in most areas. So they're kind of big uh, picture. Yes. And but but in the reason that you get tags on your license and you cannot use them here is because the state of Texas will not allow you to harvest more animals than uh, 
you're allowed. That, that's the way I was explained, right, Scott? Is it, yeah. so, it's, it's, so if you get five tags on your license and we're issued 400 permits for this property yes. and you use those five tags on this property, you're then overstepping. Adding. You're yes. overstepping into the states. So you are, it's an exclusive management. The only tags that can be used on this property no. are MLD Correct. tags. Correct. And there's, there's, there's tons of, of cooperators that are, that are in this program. I, I, I knew the number at one point, but it's, it's in the hundreds, if not that it's probably in the thousands. Statewide. Of Statewide, different sizes, sizes from a hundred acres to a hundred thousand acres. And without it, uh, you couldn't do a lot of the selective harvesting that, you're doing and the whole management plan would be entirely different it it would be harder we could still possibly do it but it allows one person to harvest a hundred deer if they wanted to mm-hmm. versus using five using week. one person coming in and harvesting five and then another person coming in and using five off of their regular license just trying to find right just any, calling in anybody people. five tags be like please come yeah because i think on your regular down. license in this county you're issued five tags and three of those can be bucks okay and you know all of them can be does but up to three bucks with your uh, so how, how many mld tags do you get here um, this year we got 465 or something like that and uh, is there uh can you do whatever you want with those, or is there a buck dough right There's, now? They're buck and dough, and that's it, about 50-50. It's about 50-50. Yeah, because we're running a one-to-one buck dough ratio. It doesn't appear that way. On the landscape? Yeah. It, wow. it, it, when, you're, when you're looking at it in a stand, a lot of times it doesn't appear that way. No, it appears uh, like there's like 80% bucks. Well, and it's because of higher, uh, social or, uh, uh, social hierarchy around feed stations. And the so, rut's kicking in. Well, the rut's yeah. kicking in, but the bucks – so here's the deal. The bucks go from – get away from my feed mm-hmm. to come here, honey. And so they're chasing them off because they're eating their food. Mm-hmm. And then it's like a, a light switch. Yeah. And now they're saying, Hey, come here. Let's go on a date. Kind of. <laughs> I have an analogy for that. I was hunting black bear on a uh, Prince of Wales once. And every beat, you know, you're in a little boat and you're going into all these coves and these big salad bars on the beaches. And every salad bar has these what looked to me was a giant boar and you go into the next one there's a giant boar and you go into the next one there's a giant boar and i remember we went back into town to refuel the boat and our buddy that lives there jesse knock uh i asked him i was like man am i going crazy i like every one of these bears looks like a big boar like certainly some of them have to be doe or, or uh sows and he was like no man biggest bears get the best spot best feed <laughs> so that's kind of the situation yeah. with your bucks uh-huh. on your feeders yeah because because yeah. you can the the they, there's all sorts of studies that have been done um on social hierarchy and deer and fawns are the bottom and then does and one-year-old bucks are pretty much equal mm. and then it's each age after that on bucks up to a certain point probably i would say you know six to seven year old bucks are probably the top Actually, probably four to five year olds. Yeah, I was gonna say there's got to be a tipping point. Yeah, and then the tipping point is usually around seven, and when they when they go back to eating and less, you know, less bullying. This is just like a pack uh, of hound dogs. Yeah, or college, or college kid. Back yeah. to the bar, <laughs> freshman <laughs> versus senior. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> JV and varsity, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, 465 MLD permits here. Where are you at right now in your? Uh, 125 ish. And you know that number so specifically because we're looking at a board here, which is incredibly detailed, which is the breakdown of deer harvested on the property this year, deer 
known on the property this year. Uh, you have, what else do you have here? You have the feeder times listed, shooting lights listed. Uh, you have the names and locations of every hunter on the property today. A breakdown of trophy class of bucks. It's, it's an, this is just a, the whiteboard I'm looking at is a really great summary and great uh, example of the caliber and the detailed level of man, of deer management you guys i've never seen anything like this so so th so this board the reason that i put this board up is because i hate answering questions and talking to people mm. is this that where you're going to put that faq sheet in the front of the book here yes because i i just get i i don't i'm just that i just like deer and i don't like people so it's just I, and i just like messing with you yeah <laughs> <laughs> but and so i i mean that board answers a lot of questions that I don't have to answer every single day. Yeah. How and many, so, how many deer have been shot this year? Yeah. Yeah. How, what was the biggest buck it, shot this year? It's all right there. Boom. I mean, that's point, exactly why it's it. there. Yeah. yeah. And tell me, uh, what would be a really bad reason for your name to be on that board? Um, well, we have, we have a unrecovered, I put an unrecovered, um, <laughs> so section. You, you shot a deer and you couldn't find it. Yeah. You shot a deer and you, made a bad shot. Yeah, you're just a bad No hunter. matter what it was, if it was a bullet or your gun or you, it doesn't matter. Your name goes on the board. My name is currently on the board. Did you have an unrecovered um, Well, I guided my wife and our, I have an excuse and I don't really even need to, this, it was an, it was, I'm not good with technology and I'm at an age where I should be, but I'm not. And I have an adjusted turret, adjustable oh, turret on my scope. And you're and it looking was, at some app. God. Well, no, it was it was just spun a quarter turn one way, and she shot and grazed him on the brisket, and he's coming back in and eating. And he's coming, alive. Yeah, he's fine. Well, does that but, count uh, as unrecovered? Um, to me, it does. To you, it does. Because and if me putting her name and my name on there, it it allows me to put everybody on there. So I don't I don't, see I, I don't play there. favors that way. Um, and then. The cardinal sin. What would be the worst thing someone could do during Cole Fest? Probably a couple things. There's, there's. A I'm thinking of one thing. The nubbin buck. That's right. Okay, so buck fawns, um, button buck, nubbin buck, whatever. Um, mistaking a buck fawn for an adult doe, um, especially on a year where your fawn survival is as low as it is, it's, it has a. Is it not a yeah. good thing to do? Yeah, because I mean you're. That's your future trophy deer. So, so the world record's one deer. Um, the state record's one deer. The ranch record right now is one deer. So one one fuck-up matters. Yeah. You know, shooting the wrong deer at the wrong year matters. Yeah, big um, time. We wouldn't have our ranch record if we had shot him two years earlier. And and I'm sure we've made some bad calls where we, where we didn't shoot him and we should have shot him. Um, I don't see that as a negative, but I do seeing, see shooting him prematurely. So that kind of uh, steers me into my next topic I want to talk about, uh, the calling of spike bucks and the arguments for or against that. And there's, it's kind of a, it, it, it's an it's, opinionated thing. It is. It has been studied and studied and studied. And Scott, you, you had some good, uh, specifics for some studies on this, but what was the end of your thought, Ben? Okay, so 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 on the spike thing, we ebb and flow with when we shoot spikes. Some years we shoot spikes, some years we do not. And shoot what spikes. what decides that? So it whatever the fawn survival was the previous year okay. dictates rather because spikes on this particular property in most of southern Texas 
a spike buck is, which is a, you know, two unbranched antlers. And, and this is a I year and a half old deer. I would say 98% of spikes in South Texas are one and a half years old. Um, so that being said, when we have high fawn survival years, such as we had last year, mm. we will, we need to harvest spikes. X amount of deer. And if you have a one and a half year old spike standing next to a one and a half year old 10 pointer, which we have plenty of, wow. which one in you, your mind is going to be a better product at the end? Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with what that spike's going to be. It has everything to do with the 10 pointer is probably going to be better than the spike. Hmm. And when somebody's got to die. And that, that's because you have to get these you right. Have to get so these next year, the with it, with a twenty three percent fawn crop this year, we will not shoot a single spike next year. Oh, is that right? Correct. Next so, year will be a no spike year. Correct, because we don't need to harvest anything in that age class because we're handicapped. That from makes the sense. So you, basically, we try to harvest a certain percentage, and that percentage it, it flows. But we try try to harvest a certain percentage of each age class of bucks. So you and you always. When you're harvesting, when you're culling to reduce the population, we don't do it randomly. We select for the bottom third or bottom, you know, 10% of each age class and start from the bottom and work our way up on harvesting and, or culling. When we say culling, and when we say culling, we're not doing it to change the genetic makeup of the herd. Because if culling for genetic change worked, there would they would not be killing giant deer in the Midwest That's on a one buck tag. Because I I would have I would have assumed the opposite of that. I would assume that we we are harvesting a four year old eight point that maybe we don't want him spreading his genetics, but but more so you're saying you just don't want to keep feeding him. It's a novel idea to think it's about genetics, and and it is. You don't want him to breed, but I watched a, a rut train five bucks with a single doe. <laughs> Um, chasing her, you know, relentlessly. Yep. I watched four of those bucks breed her, two of which were one and a half. The biggest one never once mounted her whenever huh. I, as I was watching. I'm sure he did. So but so what I'm saying is, is five of those four, four bucks bred her. And in a lot of those, most does have fawn, have twins. Um, and a lot of those twins are sired by different, different daddies. That's biologically possible. Yeah. It's just like a dog. You could do the same thing. Dogs Boy, do the I didn't same know thing. That. Yeah. So, so um, the idea in like when you're running a tight ratio ratio of one to one, like we are, the idea of changing the genetic makeup when a single doe gets bred by even by a single buck, you don't know what that doe's got. That's um, right. But but it is it, it, it makes you feel good. She's fifty percent of this to the table. Right. But it makes you feel good to shoot a four year old hundred and twenty inch eight pointer and leave the 180 inch four-year-old, you know, with drop tines or whatever, and let him do the breeding. That's the novelty idea. And it makes you feel good, but it, it just doesn't, it, that's not, that's not why we're doing it. So why, why do it? Mal's on the landscape. Mal's on the landscape. Yeah. Carrying capacity. It's the same reason that, that these other states issue more or less tags in a certain unit, mm. you know, like with elk and mule deer in, in other states. It's the same. They're trying to re, they're trying to keep, the landscape they, they they want they want to give hunters the opportunity to harvest as many deer possible well if they if they don't allow hunters to harvest those deer you're going to get these big die-offs and these big um spikes in the graph again they're gonna they're cyclic so you'll get these 
huge population growth and then they and then they'll eat themselves out of house and the habitat yeah. can't sustain them and the population crashes yeah and and that's fine yeah but that's what's going to happen if you don't hunt them and that's not that's not the recipe f- for growing world-class deer correct correct yeah. again you're taking the spikes out of the graph you're trying to keep that line as straight as possible back to spikes different type of spikes <laughs> uh Scott, what was the study you referenced this morning? The Kerr Wildlife Management Area through Parks and Wildlife. They did a study of control and environment where they had a spike antlered buck and a forked antlered buck in the same pen. And through the years, the progression of their antler growth, that spike antlered buck never got as big as that forked antlered buck. So after eight years, that spike antlered buck may have been 110 inches. This forked antlered buck, after that same age, was 160 inches and so this was and then we had we had actually had a buck on the ranch ben could talk about that yeah, bobtail so buck. bobtail buck yeah you know, i told yeah. you about that was harvested this year yeah and, and again you're, you're going to go 100 different opinions on the spike debate in in a population where you have to harvest x amount of deer somebody's got to go somebody's got to die and in yeah. i'm not uh, and again that. next door five miles down the road another part of the state another state I'd have to see a lot of information before I said yes or no on killing, on harvesting, killing a spike. Interesting. No. But you're, and again, you're, that changes every year. Your primary goal is we have to, we have to remove deer off this landscape. And if I've got to pick somebody, it's going to be mature does and a spike that probably is not going to well, become. In, in it, I mean, yeah, the studies have shown a spike might grow into a giant, but the ten pointers got is better odds of yeah you know way better uh, odds. It's just an easier way to think about sure. it. Sure. All right, a couple other things I want to talk about before we wrap it up. Uh, what are some of the ranch records? What are some of the things you're proud of? And it might not be inches on a deer. Maybe it is. But what are some of the accomplishments that you've achieved in your ten years here that uh, you think are are notable? Um, I mean, we went from, from, I used to, I used to count 150 inch deer when the first couple of years and like I said, my, the first year there's five known one fifties. Right. Um, this, my, my first year there was 15. Mm-hmm. My second year there was 45 last year. Uh, well for about four or five years now, I can't count one fifties anymore. Um, I'm <laughs> counting one seventies now and we had last year we passed we let walk 174 deer that gross scored over 170 by our estimation on uh, trail camera. Say that again. 174 bucks. Correct. That would score over. With our estimation would score 170 or better gross Boone and Crockett score. And some of those are probably 166 or 168 or whatever. We're not perfect. But so your, your, your quantity. And that's based off of a trail caliber. Your, the the quantity of your quality it went somewhere i never expected it to go it's in, it's incredible and uh I, I do my best to to show what we're doing here on my social pages and um it's a hot topic every every year that i come down here and do this no, nobody guys. understands it's, it, that's, it, it, that's it's, why we're having this conversation partially yeah. uh you know i'm I'm a fairly unapologetic hunter in the most part, uh, but the older I get, the more interested I am in uh, kind of fostering a, a better public image or explaining uh, 
what's going on. But it, at a glance, if you see us, if you see on my page, uh, you know, 50 white-tailed deer laying on the pavement out here after a really big morning hunt, to an untrained eye, it would be quick to think, that seems a little excessive. Our neighbors say the same thing. But they, not as much anymore now that they're killing 180s. Now that you help, now that they're kind of getting the side effects of it. Yeah. But so you're concentrating the selective harvest to minimize stress. It all comes back to minimizing stress. Um, and so that's what we're here doing this week. We're we're here to to fill these MLD tags and uh, lower the stress on the herd as a whole. Increase. The trophy quality of these deer so back to kind of the records and, and peaks of the last decade here what are some of the what what caliber deer what's some of the biggest deer that so you guys so killed? last year we took um the two biggest was one was a 228 God. and the other one was a 202 um gross spoon and crockett score um in 2017 or 18 we shot the biggest uh he was the biggest typical killed in the state that year he scored 207 wow um i don't i don't remember his net was like 191 what is that a six by six he was a six by five if he'd have been a six by six he would have been the new state record wow um last year was it last year two years ago we killed the uh number one typical killed in the state he's the i think the third biggest well at the time he was the third biggest white tail Typical whitetail ever entered into Boone and Crockett from Texas. Wow. Um, now he's probably number five because there's a lot of places that are doing similar management and starting to figure out what it takes. You guys are kind of writing the book, though. Um, Would you say we're, that we're this, going somewhere? This is that, a, uh, you guys are the poster child for low fence, extremely successful trophy whitetail management. Yeah, we're doing something that not very many people are capable of doing, and it's not it's not from a. I, I don't mean to say that that that's not a. It's not an arrogance. It's a. We're in a perfect storm. We have we have the land and we have the finances and we the have the owner, people. The owners have said to me, "This is the perfect culmination of financial ability and a personal passion." Correct. Correct. And, and the, the right people. And I mean, there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle. Well, and the, and the thing is, is these guys are willing to let us take the reins and do what we are capable of doing. Most people that have the finance in the land, they want to be in charge. They want to be in charge. And the way you're doing it didn't work this year. So you're gone. Turns out a wildlife biologist and a, and a warden can kind of figure this out <laughs> and do it better than they can. Just give them the reins. <laughs> Just give them the reins. <laughs> Um, so those are some of the bigger deer off of the property. And I know you're in a, we usually, deer. we usually try to, we usually harvest, uh, at least one that, uh, Grossman and Crockett over 200, uh, um, every year, every year we always pass. We always let go at least two or three that gross score over 200. This year we're letting two go that are over 200 because of this drought, because of the drought. Yeah. And we just, I feel like they have a little bit more left in the tank. And that's interesting, kind of a, a segue here, that some of these deer, uh, these big bucks, 
you don't know, you know, sometimes they surprise you, right? Where well, you're like, man, well, this one really blew up. This well, year. yeah. So, so you want to shoot, you want to, you want to take them when they're, when they're the biggest that they're ever going to be. That's right. But you don't know that until you've watched them for eight years and you're like, man, we should have shot them three years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but, but you, you can't regret passing a deer. I've regretted shooting deer. I've never regretted passing deer. Interesting. And you hear about these guys. So a very the, conservative approach to it. Right. And you hear about these guys that are like, well, if we don't shoot him, our neighbor will. Well, if you shoot him, then you're that neighbor. <laughs> yes. Um, and it, it's just, it, we, we're very conservative on our really big deer. Um, we try to let them get, show us as much as they're going to show us um, in, in antler growth. And again, this year, drought-wise, less than 1% of the bucks actually increased in antler size wow. most of them decreased and i'm talking about i think this is where a lot of places kind of shoot themselves in the foot we had deer this year guaranteed same deer um that went from gross score 170 plus to 135 gross score whoa but i 100 percent know who they are i can't explain it i know who they are do you see and they in will their body back. condition too not not necessarily their body condition because again their antlers are the leftovers. That's right. So we keep their body condition. We keep, we were able to keep their body condition up, mm-hmm. but their antlers suffered. So so That's what the happens first to is go. Yeah. yeah, their body grow gets gets better. Then their antlers get better. The first thing to go down when they start regressing is their antlers go down, and then their body sure. regresses. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, and and the, and again, we're. I mean, that's. We've I've seen deer drop like this before, not to this capacity. They will bounce back. And I think a lot of people shoot themselves in the foot saying, well, he dropped this year, so we're going to shoot him. And then next year, they're like, well, where'd all our big deer go? Well, think, you shot them all you last year. You shot them all when they were small. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you've, you've got a uh, more long-term outlook on all this. Yeah. A bigger picture. How many trail cameras and stands do you have on this property? Is that a moving target? I'm sure. I'm sure it is. <laughs> um, so trail cameras is an interesting topic that we probably shouldn't get into. Okay. Um, I mean, as far as uh, why we have that that should not fluctuate, um, but but we have some thieves. Um, anyway, I lost 27 last year. 27 <laughs> cameras that were stolen, and mm. not by poachers or hunters. And you could guess what I'm referring to hikers yes hikers well i want to talk uh, about that <laughs> we, we could do a separate one if you want to do that <laughs> well, i think we don't want to talk about it long but I, it's, it's uh, a big part of the, it, it's the, another you know, stress it's a big it's another stress here. on the deer this year yeah so you're saying you, you would have more cameras but we're, we're so. running around 70 cameras this year okay um that fluctuates based off of whenever i go and, and check cards um how many that are still there and how many uh, permanent stand stations do you have and tripods and trailers? and? So we have thir- – there's 34 permanent blinds, seven tr- rifle trailer blinds, three uh, bow trailer setups, um, which we're getting more bow setups, 21 tripods. Um, and whenever I say tripods, these are strategically placed between the permanent feed, stands. Permanent feed stations. And when I say between, you know, they're – a mile away. That's or, where you put me this morning. Right. And I saw a ton of deer. Right. And a lot of times what will happen is, is the early season hunting pressure and the regular stands will push, push deer out. Right so these, you got to go yeah. to where they live and kill them. So it's, it's when I look at a map of the ranch, it's a perfectly peppered. They're, they're very well dispersed, very evenly dispersed across the property. Um, 
but there's a lot of them. Yeah. You've got, you've got it blanketed, uh, very well. And the densities, the densities change depending on the habitat on a particular part of the ranch. And that then habitat is dictated by the soil type. And, you know, so we have a, we have a, a creek, um, that runs four miles down one side where you have some bigger trees and then you get to some, um, Flint rock Hills that have shorter lying brush and less ground cover. Um, and there's different, different types of mm-hmm. habitat and the in different types of habitat have different carrying capacities based Di- off the feet. Different times and different ways to hunt. Correct. Different, different times parts. of the year, deer like different yep. areas. Um, and these deer range anywhere, you know, it, it, it changes all over, whitetail country these deer we have deer that have home ranges of 400 acres and we have deer that have home ranges of seven or eight thousand acres is that right um and it just it, that speaks it, to just the personality it, of the it animal. goes back to the college thing like how far are you go everybody's the, a little different yeah you're gonna go to the same bar every night or are you gonna hop around and go to a different bar every some night? people do yeah so. i prefer to go hop around yeah i like having a relationship with the bartender and getting free drinks so. that those relationships can go too far sometimes <laughs> <laughs> um so here we're sitting in your office and you have these every year you've got these big beautiful leather bound photo albums how many how many trail camera photos do you take a year so i'm doing around 150,000 a week starting in around mid-august um, and right now i'm turning them down I'm, I'm working in the process of turning down the number of pictures just from a now the, that I have the, time, the deer the timer yeah so now I have deer memorized um like I have a photographic memory when it comes to deer antlers and now that I have them memorized I don't need to um I don't need 150 tro- thousand trail camera pictures a week I cut it down to about 75,000 a week you and I'll run what, that through February you know what you need to know right and now I look at it more of who's where and w- if they're broken or not in target bucks if mm-hmm. they're killable or not and when I say killable, that means they're coming in at daylight as anybody that hunts deer and has ever run a trail camera. When he's daylight, that's when you got to go get him. So you have a extensive library of trail camera photos. Uh, you're very well versed in – you're very knowledgeable on most all the bucks living on the property. So a paint a picture. When we're out uh, during call fest uh, – the program is we're, we're shooting mature does and we digiscope or phone scope every buck we see and we send a picture to Ben here and Ben either says pass or shoot and shoot. He sends kill, kill, kill. And it's the text I dream of all year. <laughs> and I've gotten that text from you four times in my life. I've killed two of those bucks. My brother killed one, and one of them got away by the time. That's a pretty good 75%. That's pretty good. I feel I'm not, you know, we're just getting started this week. You yeah. don't even know what I'm going to do. There's some people that the percentage is lower than that, but that's not my fault. Well, there's an art to it. I'm getting better, <laughs> I'm getting better at it. I don't fuss around. When I see a 180-inch deer come out, I'll get a photo for you, but it's not a priority. I'm not prioritizing. That's not as urgent to me as when I see a 130-inch eight point that looks like he's six years old come out yeah because i think that's the more likely one uh i'm also getting better at digiscoping and uh giving you good angles of photos and stuff um 
but that's that's the program we're we're out there trying to shoot mature does and some of this undesirable bucks well it matters yeah that's a that's a moving tar it's very desirable to me yeah Yeah. i shot the biggest white tail of my life here last year yeah and it was an eight point what do you think that buck is 135 yeah 132 yeah 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 you're probably right (laughs) uh big beautiful four by four texas white tail it's it's in it's the centerpiece of my living room and that that's why i hate the term cull because they're not culls they're great deer to somebody it's just part of what it's just the reality of what we're doing yeah yeah of the end of it's a you got a management tool to reach the end goal here right and again this is site specific for this one property and that's what a lot of people they take it to mean the gospel where it this this way everywhere Mm -hmm. and this is how you have to do it and that's not the case it it changes so much in such a short distance from through time through location there's so many variables yeah and i think that and it's constantly changing and if you're not changing with it it's a living breathing thing yeah yeah. you are you are writing the playbook as you go and you have to yeah um because nobody remembers the guys in the 90s that's right (laughs) (laughs) but tell tell me this when people think of somebody's never been to texas and they think of a texas whitetail they think of a really small bodied deer with thin antlers uh and maybe some long tines and that the more i spend time down here i realize that's kind of like the hill country deer. that's the the higher density higher populations if you went to the hill country and did this and did what we're doing here which they're it's almost impossible to do because it's smaller acreage yep. and higher density is that right it's not a uh, uh genetic not, difference of there deer. is genetic difference there is genetic difference but primarily they just have the ability to get bigger because the deer were some of the biggest there. deer killed in the state were killed were used to game warden yeah and, i mean years and years ago during the screw screw worm years yeah. back in the 50s and What's 60s the so, so the screw worms go ahead yeah. it was deer density screw worm if the deer had a sore a fly would get in there lay the larvae the larvae would eat deer would get sick die basically but it kept the deer densities low I mean, next it's, to nothing. So if, mean, if, you have, if you have a deer to 100 acres in the hill country, that one buck, he may be a 170-inch buck. He got or a lot, 240. He's, he's got a lot of feed. There was no, a lot of, lot of farming competing. going on. Less now, stress. Yeah, Less stress. Now it's goaded out. There's a lot of sheep and goats in that area. Mm. Cedar's taken over, juniper ash. So back in those days, you still had juniper ash, but you had farming. You had different things going on. The deer density was much lower. There's, there's browse plants that existed back then that you they haven't seen there in 40 years because there's so many deer they ate them out yep. of existence yeah. right that's crazy yeah and their bodies and the antlers just kept getting smaller uh, uh, so if we let the, if we let that happen here it would the save. deer would shrink yeah pretty that's i mean interesting. yeah i i was going to my guess would have been that no this this textbook cookie cutter white-tailed deer that everyone thinks of with small body and thin antlers but long tines like that's just a different part of the state but you're saying just down here maverick maybe it is a combination of things it's a combination but that's a but primarily these deer have the luxury of getting big right i see and genetically like these are their top end is a little bit better Mm -hmm. you know their their potential just through time this part of the world is produced more Boone and Crockett deer because of the habitat, because of the large. Yeah, and I think it's because it's such a dry, arid landscape that it's never been able to hold 
a high density. Interesting. So, but when you do have those good rainfall years, the the forage is just better than anything you could feed them anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so you the natural, have the, the natural so landscape. You can go back and look in Boone and Crockett record books and you can look and tell, I can tell you what years it rained in March and April based off the Boone and Crockett record book. <laughs> That's incredible. But before, before supplemental it's feed. It's directly and reflected into yeah. it. Yeah. There's a direct correlation. Okay. So, uh, we're here this week. We're going to kill a lot of deer. Uh, if you follow my page that, you know, this will, this will be published later, but you're probably familiar with some of the stuff we're doing here. Tell me what happens to all these deer. Cause I cannot eat 460 deer. So what, what's the, what do we do here when they come in? I know what we do, but I want you to. Okay. Tell so, so basically what we do when we harvest, when we kill these deer, when we kill, um, I think call fest we this week this year we probably won't get to the number but we usually kill 150 to 170 deer in five days yeah i believe last year was like 172 yeah something like that okay. it's been in the 170s a couple times yep. um this year we won't get to it because it's 75 degrees in a full moon and it's just not yep. conditions aren't they're not going to move um we kill the deer we field dress remove the guts we and then in it let me jump in there we have this luxury uh we get we load up all the deer and right before you get to ranch headquarters we back up all the trucks into this beautiful area that that was that was my dream since i was 12 years old was to build that it's called the gut bar and it is a elevated gravel ramp that you can back your truck right up into drop the tailgate and right at tailgate level there's railroad ties up to that level. You pull your deer out. You gut your deer right there, and you drag the guts 20 yards down the hill. It's a very – 20 feet. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes the, the idea The idea is to keep the mess at headquarters down because mm. a lot of people, they gut them. They, they remove the guts at, at their facility. Well, then you got to haul the guts off, and then you got to wash everything down. Well, we don't have any well water here, so we use rain catch, so we have to be real um, – we have to be very careful with our water. So conservative with it. Conservative. So, so we, instead of bringing the deer in, gutting them, loading the guts back up, and taking them back out, we just gut them out on the way in into the into the cooler. So then we, we then we do paperwork. We do various uh, measurements, um, weights, ages, tooth wear, age yep. by tooth wear, or if we know the the individual buck. And that's um, where I, I go ahead. And then and then we. Um, Hang them in a in a in a walk-in cooler yep. that's set at about thirty-eight degrees. And how many deer can and you hold in there? I we we can get seventy-five in there comfortably. <laughs> um, when we first started, we would do one hundred and fifty in the same week, and I had a cooler that held twenty, and that was a nightmare because I had to have um, I have people lined up throughout the week that are n- anywhere from needy families to people that can't hunt anymore that lost their lease that still like deer meat, older people that can't hunt anymore. Um, Need, a lot of needy families, and they'll come and that get. That doesn't sound – needy family uh, doesn't sound good. Families in need. There you go. Yeah, yeah. That's a nicer way of saying it. Maybe, I guess. Yeah. That's same words, I who, think. But who came this morning? Um, well, so, so this morning I had the San Antonio uh, – is it national? San Antonio Food Bank. So, so what they do is they come in and they pick up the whole carcass of the deer, and they take it to a processing facility and have it processed for homeless shelters, um, 
and, and, and things of that nature. The truck that showed up said Hunters for the Hungry. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And they're yeah. kind of the middle, the nonprofit middleman. Yeah, they this. get government uh, subsistence to, to, to process the deer and in, in, in mostly into ground meat, and then they distribute it to um, families in need or homeless shelters or orphanages, different situations such as that. So um, it looked maybe to an untrained eye as an excessive harvest, uh, not a bit of it is going to waste um no not a bit of it no since i've been here i don't i the only deer we've we've not completely utilized maybe you know less than five and nine years and that was most of the time because they were sick and un- inedible oh oh it was a it was a choice yeah it was it, like, it was, is, it was uh, we're not, we're not eat eating this because it's going to make somebody sick something's type. wrong with this yeah. Yeah. otherwise we've we've used i don't think we've ever had another one that we've had to throw away or, or that went bad or got yeah. It's a professional grade operation between uh, as soon as the deer hits the gut bar, it's brought back to headquarters. It is weighed. It is aged, which is where Scott's brother, Mike, comes in, a, another wildlife biologist who we're going to have a conversation with hopefully this week. Uh, aged off of uh, tooth. Estimated es- tooth It's an estimation. Uh, and, you know, until you've sent something into a lab and had it cross-cut and counted, it all, it's an educated guess, but they're very educated guesses. And I've learned more about it every year, and I love it. Uh, but So they're weighed, they're aged, and they're immediately hung up on a, a hook and ran into a cooler. These deer, the, the meat, these carcasses are taken care of on a professional meat processing level. Um, and then ultimately completely donated. So it's a, it's a cool combination of achieving these huge management goals and a good deed at the end of the day, right. helping out a lot of people. Um, I'm going to, I'm excited to talk to Mike about aging deer and uh, eight more of the life cycle of deer, which I could talk your year off about as well, but I'd like to save that. When I talk to Mike, um, so back to your leatherbound books here. I've got two two things I want to talk about before we're done. The leatherbound books here uh, is a very organized catalog of all of the bucks on the property through your trail camera photos, and each of them is assigned a different color sticker. So explain explain to me that if you can. Um. I, I approached it as like those little projects you did in middle school, like when you color coded things. Yeah, we're going uh, from college bars to middle school. I was arts a, and crafts. I was a nerd, so uh, <laughs> you I mean, were. Yeah, I, I was. Yeah, yeah, I still am. <laughs> <laughs> and it basically, nerd. it was it was difficult to for me to get the point across of of deer that we what different pictures of deer meant, and they they I knew what they meant. But when I showed them to people, nobody else knew what my intentions were for those specific deer. So I came up with a, with a, a color code system. Mm-hmm. And the, the way it started was any bucks that, we, that I wanted to take out, didn't matter who saw the deer, he dies on sight. And these deer, as soon as the first time that they're seen in person, they die. Don't and they're not, they're not, oh, we're going to save that buck for so-and-so. Nope. We're gonna, that is against our policy. And so that is what we, uh, I know as a green dot deer. Yes. Yeah, so I came up with the green dot as we gave the green light to 
kill that deer. Anybody, anywhere, Anybody, anytime, and this fuck's got to go. And if you don't kill the deer, if you see the deer and don't kill it, you're chastised and probably going to be removed from the rank. Yeah, you're not allowed to come back. <laughs> yeah. Because we're, uh, here, we're here to assist in your larger picture deer right. management. What it, what it kind of morphed into is it now is a Sears catalog where people come through and flip through. And they, see, and they find the biggest deer that they can find with a green dot on it. There's a lot of and, things uh, that chap your ass. But uh, <laughs> one of them I know is uh, you, you're quick to say there will be no trophy hunting. Trophy culling. There will be no trophy culling. Trophy culling will not be tolerated. That's right. You call what needs to be called. Yeah, I do not want the the thing is is everybody always asks me, well, what deer was this deer bigger than this deer? I said I don't know. They're both green dots. Don't know. Don't care. Yeah, they both need to they die. Both, both need to die. They both need to be in that cooler. So I don't give a shit. But <laughs> who does it? Whichever wh- one, the one that needs to die first is the harder one to kill. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter about his antler size. Um, but I've been doing this a lot longer. A lot of these guests are here for a weekend and they want. You know, everybody wants bigger. Of course. Um, and I don't blame them. I mean, the I was time, like that the, when I was the 12. The more time I spend on this ranch and participate in this uh, this management, uh, the more I am on board with. I, I was guilty of that. I'm still guilty you of that. You were at some bad, level. and you still are, I feel like. Yeah, you know, I like big, <laughs> I like big antlers. Who doesn't? But uh, the more time I spend here, the more – invested i am the more interested i am and just participating in that bigger goal well my thing is is like well shoot that one you're not done that's right the other one can come out that's right and then you can shoot him and you can kill two that's right instead of waiting and killing and maybe having a chance at the bigger one why not kill three or four one of the boys last night killed two beautiful call bucks yeah and i tried i tried to gar hole him i know (laughs) that's so funny (laughs) maybe you should try he just killed another one by the way that same guy that doe? Yeah, he killed another doe. He's on a spree, and he got some this morning. Yeah. What a guy. Yeah. But it, and then the, the color coordination We'll put a red dot on them when they're, when, after we kill them, we'll put a red dot. That means they're dead. That way mm-hmm. people don't hunt dead deer. And these books are more, again, a way for me to communicate without actually talking about each individual deer to each individual guest. Very good. And so there are... The target bucks, the 200-inch caliber deer that the owners are, are going for every year. And then there's kind of a middle class. What, what's a so, yellow and a blue? So so a blue dot um, is just a deer that uh, we're watching. He could have been big last year, and he's not big anymore. He could be giant this year. It's just a deer that we're paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we'll, put, we'll assign deer names to keep track of them for us personally. Um, but the blue dots are more deer of note. There's something that we're watching. We used to, I used to do it all 150 plus bucks that I knew about would get a blue dot. Now it's more, it's still 150 plus bucks, but it's more just deer of note. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were 170 last year and now this they're not. A, or, okay. Um, and I'll put a blue dot on them. Or if they're a deer that's young and big, he gets a blue dot. Um, and when I something say big, you're paying attention plus, to. Yes. I see. It's a deer that if you're sitting in a stand and he walks out, you're going to remember who he is Yeah, it as happened, a hunter. Happened that, to me this morning. Yeah. What was that buck's name? Diggler. Diggler. Dirk Diggler, like the Mark Wahlberg movie. Man, I, I'm not familiar with that. But I was your, your audience will be. a tripod stand, and so I have my spotting scope in between my thighs, and I'm trying to digiscope. I'm trying to take these photos, and I got to shaking pretty good because he's a big deer to me. 
I mean, how big is that deer? 160, 70? Yeah, I don't know. He was a lot bigger two years ago, but yeah. The drought got him? Yeah. Well, boy, he had a donkey face on Yeah, he's him. a big old <laughs> He's body, a big yeah. old boy. Yeah. Anyways, I'm trying to digiscope this thing, and I'm shaking like a leaf, sending you photos. And I I should have known better that this thing was far from a green dot call buck. <laughs> well, I, just ask, the, I ask everybody to send pictures of every mature buck. Because you want to know where stuff is. Because, for one, I want to know where stuff is, and my interpretation of what that buck is might be different from what normal people view. Mm-hmm. So – a lot of people might see a buck saying that's a cull buck and I know who he was last year and he's not a cull buck. Mm-hmm. And this flip side is other people might be saying a deer that's 150 inches. There's no way that's a cull buck, but in my mind, yeah, we're going to kill that deer this year because he's maxed out on what we think he's going to do. What you're saying is, you know, more than we do a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's strictly from looking at 150,000 trail camera pictures. <laughs> you're good, you're good at what you do, man. You've made a, you've made a career out of this and I'd argue you're, you're the best in the biz, man. Um, there's, there's a lot of better ones out there. I don't know them. I don't like them. They don't care about them. <laughs> Scott, what have, uh, I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish with you, Scott. Uh, in your s- nine years here, eight, eight years, eight, my eighth year season. Yeah. What what changes have you – you live here every day. Pretty much. What changes have you seen from habitat to wildlife? Are there more are there more quail here now? Or what What are some of the things you've noticed? The big thing is the infrastructure. There was very little infrastructure when we got here. The and, roads. And the, the roads. This was not an all-weather road when I got here. Mm-hmm. Uh, when there was a rain coming, because I did not live on the ranch permanently when I started, and when there was a rain in the forecast, I had a two-wheel drive truck, and we've got seven miles of ranch road to get to the blacktop. Yikes. So I had to get out of the ranch before the rain started, otherwise I'd be stuck here until it dried out. It sounds like that Montana gumbo. Pretty much. It, yeah. And then I would come back when it dried out enough to go back to work. But infrastructure was big, and yes, the quality of the deer have gotten exponentially. It's you, you can't. But with, you, you've seen it in the last two years what absolutely. what improvement or three years you've been with, here now. With uh, with the deer, what else have you seen though besides those white-tailed deer? The number of guests. <laughs> it, it's it, it has it has exploded. I was, I was trying to poke into wildlife. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was, I was, I was, I, I'm, I'm I'm the people person, so I see the I see <laughs> yeah. all that other stuff, but. Just the the ranch improvements, the the roads have improved, uh, habitat has been improved. We would like to have food plots, but because of rainfall, we can't have food plots. But mm. yet, we still disc these fields at the right time of year. If we do get rain, we'll have the grasses that will come up for the quail, for the doves, for the turkey, and, and all wildlife. But we've gotten the equipment to help with ranch improvement. Uh, the the infrastructure has improved. Just in a word, infrastructure. It, it, it's made the tool, it's such a big the tools, the tools, at your the tools to run the ranch effectively, and to make the improvements that were needed. Uh, the owners, like Ben said, pretty much what it takes to make the ranch the best that it can be. Do what you got to do. do. Do what you got to do to make it the best that it can be. And Which is such a unique opportunity for right everyone that from the deer to me. Right. Um, and it, it's, I can see we've got this lake out here now that we finally got water in, and I can see the ranch becoming a year-round destination for friends and families to come down and bass fish because we've got water. Hopefully that water will stay there for a few years for the bass yeah. to get to that trophy stage like the deer. And so we'll have deer hunters, of course, during the season, but then after deer season, we're going to have people coming down to get on this 120-acre lake to bass fish. Yeah. We have, we so. have seven-pounders right now. Right. And, really? And, yeah. Yeah. 
So I don't know what you call it. I don't appreciate it's big. It is in Montana. Did you know that you put the lead weights in them like them walleye fishermen? You have to. Yeah, that's That's the only way you win. That's the only way you win, man. Did you know that the Alaska state record largemouth bass is eight ounces? can't even believe there was one up there. <laughs> yeah, there was one. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you catch it? No. No. Oh, that's funny. Uh, but the, the property is thriving, and it's this beautiful, incredible place, and I feel fortunate yeah. to, to come be able to hunt here and participate in what you guys are doing just a little bit um, from the quail and the doves and the javelina and the whitetail. It's it's truly incredible i have a hard time sleeping at night when i'm here because i'm so damn excited to go see what the morning's gonna bring right which is why i'm about to call it quits on this podcast because i'm going back out to a deer stand let's go kill some let's go get it do well it. thank you guys so much for uh doing what you do and for helping explain uh what's going on here